Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor at Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org, and contact us. We'd love to help. But take your Bibles, chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, the Beatitudes. Did it pop up there? Yes, we're good to go. Good to go. All righty. Of course, we've been studying in here already. Pastor has spent a lot of time in here, obviously seven verses so far in the chapter. And uh, let's have a word of prayer and we'll begin. Father, I thank you now for this opportunity. I pray that you would work in each one of our lives tonight, Lord, as we uh, look at blessed are the pure in heart. And maybe you'd be able to look at that and get a good perspective of what you'd have for us as we study your word, as we meditate upon it, as we um, look at uh, application in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, of course I just said it even in the prayer, but verse 8 is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Being a master teacher, our Lord did not begin this important sermon uh, with a negative criticism of what was going on. Think of some of the things that were going on in uh, this current time. He could have spent time criticizing the scribes, the Pharisees, but he began with a positive emphasis on righteousness. And that righteousness... uh, talked about here was not that those externals, although they showed up in the externals, but the righteousness and that character and the blessings that it brings in the life of a believer. Remember at this time of the scribes and Pharisees, they were looking at externals. They had thousands and thousands of rules. So if you knew the rules and you knew how to obey the rules, you could look really spiritual. You could look like you belonged, that you had really, you were really sold out to whoever, to whomever, or you, you were really a spiritual person. But again, those were that righteousness that, that the Pharisees taught, uh, it was measured by praying, by giving, by fasting, uh, things like that. In the Beatitudes, the, picture, the, the pictures of the believer, uh, Jesus described Christian character that flowed from within, those rivers of water, those things that come out of our life because of what's inside. We, I was talking to someone earlier this morning, and we were talking about some issues with uh, GPSs and and how sometimes when you put an address in, it doesn't take you to the address that you're wanting to go to. That old idea, do you remember the old computer terminology, Geigo? Garbage in, garbage out. Well, same works with the GPS. You get a bad address in there, it's, and although it's the right address for you, but they have the wrong coordinates for it in that GPS, it's going to take you to the wrong place. Uh, one time we wanted to go to Sonny's Barbecue, and we ended up at some farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, that was... Uh, Bill Gorski was with me, and he still gives me a hard time about that even today. But it was pretty funny because we were so excited about because they were new contraptions. And, you know, we, can, we, we don't have to have a paper map. We can have this GPS, but it's only as good as the information that's in there. If there's garbage in there, you're going to get garbage out. You know, people hit their, hit their thumb with a hammer, and they let out an expletive, and they say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. Well, actually, you did mean to say that because it's in your heart, and that's what came out. That's what came out. When the pressures come, that's what comes out. Imagine how the crowd's attention was riveted on Jesus when he uttered the first words too. Blessed. This term, this Latin word that we learned, um, comes from the same word. Uh, it's uh, beatus, and from this comes the word beatitude. This was a powerful word. And to those who heard Jesus that day, to them it meant divine joy and happiness. Divine joy and perfect happiness. And it wasn't a word that was used really by humans. It was a word that described the kind of joy that experienced, was experienced either by the divine or by someone who had died. 
So this really got their attentions. Blessed implies an, that inner satisfaction, that sufficiency that did not depend on outward circumstances for happiness. Often, you know, we live in that kind of a society that uh, externals matter, whether someone's going to be in a good mood or not. You know, did their, uh, did everything just, everything work out perfect for them that day? You know, did they get this and that? You know, it's all externals that creates that. And when our hope is in externals, we find out almost on a daily basis what happens. We're disappointed, aren't we? We need to make sure that we find our sufficiency and find our, our joy in, in the Lord. Anything else is going to be superficial and change, obviously. But this whole idea here is that that inner satisfaction, that sufficiency, this is what the Lord offers to those who trust him. You want to have true happiness? You want to have true satisfaction? It can only be found through Christ. So the Beatitudes describe the attitudes that ought to be in our lives. It's interesting, there's kind of four sections that first section is our attitude towards ourselves. In verse 3, to be poor in spirit means to be humble, as we learned earlier in the study. To have a correct estimate of oneself. It, it does not mean to be poor-spirited or have no backbone. Poor in spirit is the opposite of the world's attitude. What's theirs? Self-praise, self-assertion. It's the opposite of that. It's not a false humility that says, I'm not worth anything, I can't do anything. It's honesty with ourselves and we know ourselves, we accept ourselves, and we try to be ourselves to the glory of God. The second section, verses 4 through 6, deal with our attitude towards our sin. He goes in there and says, we mourn over sin and we despise it. We see sin the way God sees it. So often, especially in the society that we live right now, that sin is changed almost in what it actually is because it's kind of looked over or it's thought to be okay. Think about the things that happen today on television that we would have never even discussed privately in our home 20 years ago, but now it's open blatantly on television today. Commercials. I was watching golf this past Saturday. You know, how can golf be bad, right, to watch, other than maybe you'd fall asleep? The commercials were horrible. It used to be like if I watched the Super Bowl or something, I had to just turn off the commercials. Now I'm having to turn them off during golf. Again, those ideas that that we, we want to see sin the way that God sees it, and we seek to treat it the way God uh, does. Those who cover their sin, defend their sin, certainly have the wrong attitude. So it's having the right attitude towards sin. You know, not only should we mourn our sins, but we should also uh, be meek and meekly submit to God uh, in those things. Uh, meekness is not weakness. I think you used that a few weeks ago. I love that. Meekness is not weakness. Strength under control. That, that word translated meek, it was used by the Greeks to describe a horse that had been broken. It refers to power under control. I love that when you can break a horse. And you break, you break the spirit a little bit, and you get in trouble, but you break the will is what you want to break with that horse. You break the will for that horse to do what it wants. You still want to have a little bit of spirit because it's fun to get on that horse and say, giddy up or get him going. You want to do that. But you, you work with that, and that idea that, that that horse is under control. That, that next section, 7 through 9, and that's where we're going to be tonight uh, briefly, is our attitude towards the Lord, 7, 8, and 9. And we experience God's mercy when we trust Christ. It's easy to say to somebody else that's going through the hard time, oh, you just need to trust God. You know, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not under that understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. We can say it, but do we practice it? Do we practice it? That's the key. Do we really practice it? When the rubber meets the road, that's when it comes out. But when we experience God's mercy, when we trust Christ, and then he gives us a clean heart, when we ask him to come in Ephesians um, 
2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The idea is that we're trusting in him, and everything that, about us that we need comes from him. It comes from him. He gives us that clean heart, talked about in Acts 15, 9. And then peace within, in Romans chapter 5. But having received his mercy, and then we share his mercy with others, we don't just hog it to ourselves. If we had the cure for cancer, we'd want everybody to know, I think. But we have a cure for something far greater and far worse. It's the cure for the curse of sin and death. And do we share it or do we keep it to ourselves? The old, the old story, you know, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Is it shining for the Lord? You know, we seek to keep our hearts pure that we might see God in our lives today. I don't know about you, but that is a prayer that when people see me, they wouldn't see me, they'd see Christ in me. That they'd see something different. Because that's the only thing that's going to make a difference in the world today. You can talk all you want to talk, but until your actions prove it, people aren't going to want to hear what you have to say. We need to be peacemakers in this world. Peacemakers in this world. And then that last section, 10 through 16, is our attitude towards the world. You know, it's not easy to be sold out, dedicated Christian in today's society. 30, 40 years ago, it, you know, maybe was tough, but it's really gotten tough now. You get canceled in today's culture, don't you? Our society is not a friend to God nor to God's people. And whether we like it or not, there is conflict between us and the world. And guess what? There should be conflict between you and the world. You should not fit in. If you're not experiencing any kind of conflict, you need to do some internal investigating and find out why you're not. Because the Bible doesn't say some might suffer persecution. It says that you will. We all are going to suffer persecution. So as we read the Beatitudes, we find that they represent that outlook that is radically different than what the world teaches. The world praises pride, not humility. The world endorses sin, especially if you get away with it. The world is at war with God. And while God is seeking to reconcile his enemies to himself... They don't want anything to do with him. So we've got to expect to be persecuted if we're living as God wants us to live. But we must be sure that our suffering is not due to our own fault. It's not due to our own foolishness and our own disobedience. So tonight, we're going to specifically take the next few minutes and look at verse 5, I mean verse 8 of chapter 5. Of course, we've already read it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Those that are truly saved are going to see God. Those who are pure in heart. Their lives have been, tra been transformed by the grace of God. They're, they're ambassadors for him. They're not sinless, but their position before God has been changed. And not changed because of something that we have done other than we've been clothed now in the righteousness of Christ. If you understand, I like what the little boy said, I did all the sinning, Jesus did all the saving. Understanding where we are in Christ. That it's all Christ. None of me. It's all Christ. And then that process of sanctification that should be taking place in our lives. And people should see that. They should see a change. We should be different than we were 20 years ago. Or 10 years ago. I've been here 20 years. Hopefully there, you've seen some spiritual growth in my life. Pro obviously not as much as there should be. But hopefully there's been some. And we should be growing. We should see that in our lives. So this word pure in heart, 
It's interesting. What did he mean by pure in heart? The Greek word pure here in Matthew 5, 8 is katharos. The idea is it means clean, blameless, and unstained from guilt. Now, we think of the word clean. Let me give you a good illustration here. Moms, when you told little Johnny to go clean his room, and he came back and said, Mom, it's clean, was it really clean? No. Clean was, from their perspective, oh, it was fine. I, I remember one of my sons, I won't tell you which one, but... When he would clean his room, everything would just go under the bed because he would have a cover on the bed that would come down and a quilt or whatever, and it would cover right down to the floor, and everything was just under the bed. So the room looked clean, but was the room clean? It was not because when the enforcer, Ginger, inspected the room, she would find the stuff under the bed, and they were like, uh, nice try, try that again. Now, I'm sure all of you can relate to that if you've had kids. You understand that. Um, Maybe you can relate to it because your husband, when he cleans the room, he puts it under the bed too. I don't know, but, um, but hopefully not. But the, the Greek word for pure, again, is the idea that clean, blameless, unstained from guilt. The word can refer specifically uh, to that which is purified by fire or by pruning. John the Baptist told people that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Matthew 3.11 I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then in Malachi 3.2, Malachi speaks of uh, the Messiah as being like a refiner's fire. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuel or soap. Growing up, I always thought this was just the song. The refiner's fire, you know, from, from uh, the Messiah, but... It's a real verse, but that refiner's fire. Have you ever seen anybody refine something? There's these steel shows, you know, like uh, cold steel. Anyway, they're making swords and knives, and I think Matt Johnson does some of this. this. It's incredible to watch these guys take a chunk of metal and then all of a sudden turn out this beautiful knife. But it goes through that refiner's fire, and it, it's worked on. That's what Malachi's talking about, that refiner's fire, the idea that's, that's purifying you. Jesus refers to, uh, to believers as being the branches and to himself as being the vine in John chapter 15. I've never had grapes, like I've never, but I've been around people that have had grapes. We have some scumpernines, is that what they're called? Scumpernines, something like that. Anyway, across right behind the ministry house. And somebody got back in there a few years ago, actually it's been about 10 years ago, and they pruned them really well. I'm telling you right now, Phil Rucker's here. He, he's the one that turned me on to these things. Uh, he makes all kinds of jelly and jams and all that stuff. So, but uh, it was incredible. Do you remember how many came out? Phil, do you remember that one time after someone had pruned them a little bit? It was just slam full. And I know people have talked about that with apple trees, with orange trees, different things that they prune them so that it actually gets more fruit. To me, I would think the more branches you have, the more fruit you would get. But that's not true in pruning. You prune that tree so that the branches you do have can be more productive and can produce better fruit, gooder fruit, right? You want gooder fruit. The idea there is that that pruning comes. Is pruning easy? No. Now, obviously, I don't think trees have, can feel pain, but if you cut all those branches off it, you know. I know some trees, you cut a branch off, what does it do? It, it, it weeps, you know. So I guess that's some kind of pain, but uh, some of you will get that much later tonight. 
But uh, the idea here is that that vine to produce fruit has got to be pruned. For those who tru- uh, for those who are truly pure, then are those who have been declared innocent because of the work of Jesus and are being sanctified by his refining fire and by his pruning. Getting those things out of your life that don't need to be there. So we have a pure, and then the word heart, the Greek word for heart in Matthew 5, 8 is cardia. This can be applied to the physical heart, but it, it also refers to the spiritual center of life. It's interesting, we talk about that, you know, we've grown up, we always heard that, you know, you need to give your heart to the Lord. Well, in South America, they don't give their heart to the Lord. They give their liver. Because in South America, in some of those places, the liver is the central part of the, the body. That's their idea, you know. That's, that's, I guess that's where they got that idea of quiver in your liver, you know. I don't know. But um, the idea there is that it's that central part. It, it's where thoughts, it's where desires, it's where senses of purpose, it's where will, where understanding, character reside. So to be pure in heart means to be blameless in who we actually are. You know, your, reputa- what's your, re- your reputation is what people think you are, right? That's what they kind of perceive you to be. But your character is what you really are. What you really are. And the idea here is to be blameless in who we actually are. The idea that that purifying is taking place so that we're changing. Obviously, we're never going to be perfectly, uh, uh, perfectly pure and clean and blameless until when? Till heaven, till glory. But we should be going in that direction. So I see three distinct things here. You say, you're just starting your points. We're almost out of time. Don't worry. It's a very, it's a, it's a short, well, I guess that was a long runway for the introduction, and now we have a, a short, it's a short flight from Atlanta to, to Columbia, so maybe 10 minutes. Three things about the pure in heart that should be found in us as Christians. Number one, being pure in heart involves having a singleness of heart toward God. Being pure in heart involves having a singleness of heart toward God. The Bible says, A double-minded man is what? Unstable in how many of his ways? All his ways. You can't serve God and mammon. The idea here is that singleness of heart. Uh, Psalm 57, 7, love this verse. David was fleeing from Saul, but he kept his focus on God. He says, my heart is fixed. Oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. We're learning about uh, going through the life of Paul in Sunday school in the morning in here in our Joy for the Journey class. And one thing, we like last week we talked about Paul and Silas in prison. What did they, they had just been whipped, beat, spit on, stuff thrown at. They're thrown in the darkest part of the prison. It's, it's during the middle of the day and it's pitch black in there. They're chained. They're not going anywhere. It's not a really a, a environment conducive to singing praise to anything. And what are they doing? Singing praises to God. They were doing it, in, and they weren't just singing the kumbaya, my Lord. They were singing in such a way that everybody in the prison knew they were singing because they were awake, and the prisoners got to experience the, the, the miracle that came too. When what happened? The earthquake came, shook the prison, shook the chains off them, shook the doors open, and they ran out of the prison and were free. No, they didn't. What did they do? They praised God and stayed there. And in doing so, they saved the very life of the jailer because the jailer's life would have been required if they had left. They saved his life physically, and then they gave him what he needed, the gospel. And he got saved, and his house got saved. I imagine prisoners got saved, and it made a difference, and they started a church. Incredible to think about that. Because their hearts were fixed. Their hearts were fixed. They were they had that signalness of heart. Lord, it doesn't matter what I go through because I'm sold out to you. Whatever you bring my way, I know it's going to be okay because 
My focus is on you. Focus on the family is okay, but if you're not focused on the Lord first and foremost, the other focuses are going to be bad. They can, a good thing can become a bad thing. Water's great. I love to drink water, but if I drink six gallons of water in a day, I think it would be fatal. I'm not sure of that. I don't know how many of you can drink and still live, but I would, it would either be fatal or I would have a new residence, permanent residence in the restroom. So one of the two places. But that idea, that singleness, that focus. Number two, not only being pure in heart involves having a singleness of heart toward God, but number two, a pure heart has no hypocrisy, no guile, and no hidden motives. It's interesting in our society today, too. If someone wants to do something for free, there's always something attached, isn't there? It seems like every day I see 30 commercials for free solar panels. Let me just get this out there for all of you right now. There is no such thing as free solar panels. You either pay for them up front, in the middle, or at the end, or all the time in between, there's no thing free. You know, the old experience, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is false. It's, it probably isn't true. It's a lie. It's marketing. You know, it's like the people, you know, we got, we got rid of our home phone because we were getting seven, eight phone calls a day for car warranties. And AARP too, but anyway, we won't go down there. But uh, we got rid of it. I just got tired of it. That's, you know, I say, I don't drive a car. I ride a horse. Thank you. You know, it, it, still didn't, it still didn't help. A pure heart has no hypocrisy, no guile, no hidden motives. Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. We know that verse well. Not only does a pure heart have involve having a singleness of heart toward God, but a pure heart has no hypocrisy, guile, or hidden motives. But number three, the pure heart is marked by transparency and uncompromising desire to please God in all things. We started golf on Monday. We actually started last week, but our first practice was Monday. You say, you coach the golf team? Yes, I do. It is a tough job. It's a lot of sacrifice, but somebody's got to do it. Someone has to do it. But I asked the young people to come up with a verse. We want to have a verse for the year, for the, for the season. And so they came back. They had a couple good ones. One of the kids came back with uh, talking about, you know, uh, had an iron staff. And I was like, well, that's a good verse, but you know, let's, let's try to keep our focus. Well, uh, one of them came up with... Matthew 10, 31. Now, if you've ever been to the wilds, you've heard this. You can't eat, you can't do anything at the wilds unless you quote this verse first, which is a good thing. Matthew 10, 31 says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of self. Oh, it doesn't say that? Well, that's what you see when you watch television, isn't it? That's what you see when you watch others around. It's all about self. Self Self-love, self-everything. But we do it to the glory of God, not to the glory of self. That's what we should do. It's more than an external purity of behavior. It's an internal purity of soul. David was being falsely accused. And in Psalm 26, he says, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. He said, make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing for the right motives. Don't have an ulterior motive. Well, I'm doing this so that God will help me have a a better score in my golf game. God could not love you anymore, and God could not want to bless you anymore. But to think that you doing something good for God is going to cause you to have better golf scores is kind of a little silly, don't you think? 
But when you do it for the right reasons and you go out and take a quadruple bogey on a hole, some of you have no idea what that is, but if you do, and you're doing it for the right reason, you're just going out to enjoy golf and enjoy the fellowship and enjoy the Lord, it's not going to upset you too much. Um, lately, I think I get more upset about losing a golf ball than I do about getting a bad score. So I keep score differently now. John Wynn can attest to that too. When we go to the golf course, we, at the end of the day, at the end of the round, we say, uh, I'll say like, I'm plus four. What does that mean? That means I'm leaving the golf course with four more golf balls than I came with. And so we want to be in the positive numbers, want to be in the positive numbers in that aspect. But we go to have fun. But he said, David said, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins in my heart. Psalm 19:14. let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Did you notice in none of these verses so far as it said anything about may, my medita- uh, may the meditation of my heart be acceptable in everyone else's sight? Because the focus is single on God and when our ways please the Lord, the Bible says we're at peace with all men. When we please the Lord, then people are going to see that evident in our life. Just like when we don't please the Lord, they're going to see that evident in your life. Have you ever had someone saying, you call yourself a Christian? You know, I invited someone to church one time and said, why would I want to go there? Man, there's a bunch of hypocrites. I said, well, you're right, we are. And if you came, it would be one more hypocrite, right? But we, find, we found the answer for that. We found the solution. It's not found in us keeping our promises. It's found in him keeping his. It's found in him keeping his. The only way that we can truly be pure in heart is to give our lives to Jesus and ask him to do the cleansing work. No other way. I was reading in this, uh, this particular study Bible I have, and when I went to that Psalm 37, delight thyself in the Lord. Uh, in verse 3, it says, trust in the Lord, of chapter 37 of Psalms, it says, trust in the Lord and do good, so shall thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. And I got looking, and I saw a bunch of things were highlighted down below in the, they have little sections. It's a study Bible, so there's some neat things written there. But it says here that the mention, uh, let's see, promised land in contrast to this blessed destiny, the wicked shall be cut off, an expression often used um, in the Old Testament. In contrast to that, This psalm contains a simple formula for achieving peace of mind in the face of the wicked's prosperity. Because we think of, why do the wicked prosper? That's what's going on here. Why do they have these, why do the wicked seem to have so much and we have so little? That's what Israel, that's what they were saying to themselves. And he said, don't worry, theirs is coming. They might be a little happy right now, but at the end they're not going to be so happy. And the best is yet to come for you. And this is what he said, this was the recipe. Fret not, neither be thou envious. Trust, do good. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Commit thy way. Trust. Rest. Wait patiently. Fret not. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not. All talked about in that Psalm 37. All of that is based on our relationship and our, with Christ and our understanding of who he is. Because we can't trust unless we understand who he is and we do that. We can't delight in the Lord unless we know what makes him what, what he would be delighted in. We can't commit our way to him unless we know what the way is that he'd have us to go. We can't really wait patiently if we don't understand his character and his faithfulness. All these things that we need are based in Christ and knowing about Christ. 
I think often we spend a lot of times in kind of the, the sugar stick passages, but it's so good to get in and dig a little bit and find out. When people went through hard times, when, as David was being uh, hounded all through the wilderness and his life was on the line, what did he do? Did he, did he cry? Did he, did he whine? Did he complain? Where did, how did he rest? How did he, how did he learn to trust the Lord? That's just one, and there's many more. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? How about Daniel? How about Joseph? All these that we could go to and learn. And again, the idea, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. Same word. Here it's clean, but it's that idea that pure. Create in me a pure heart, O God. How's, that, how's your heart going to be pure? Only through the power of God. Only through Christ working through you. That sanctification that takes place. Our standing is good. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Now it's the sanctification part. We need to make sure that we're growing and that that heart is clean. Why? Because people are watching. We are fruit, they're fruit inspectors, right? They're looking. God is the one who makes our hearts pure by the sacrifices of his son and through his sanctifying work in our lives. 1 John chapter 3, 1 through 3 is a wonderful passage. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. We're the sons of God. We're adopted into the family of God. Understanding that position. Therefore, the world knoweth us not. Like I said, if you fit in the world, there's a problem. You should stick out like a sore thumb, right? We're to be salt. What good is the salt of its loss its savor? We learned about that too. If you mix salt with other things, it doesn't work so well. You want that salt to work. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. The best is yet to come. You know, how many of you like, I don't know if you like to do this, but I know some people, they like to go read the last chapter before they start the book. I'm not that way. I like to start at the beginning and then finish and I have a hard time watching movies over again, too, because I already know how it ends. You know, they're not all like Hallmark movies. I mean, every single Hallmark movie is absolutely the same. Heartbreak, new love, get married, live, ever, live happily ever after on the farm with horses. You know, it's, every single one's the same. If it's not a farm, it's a safari or it's a whatever. It's all the same. There's no twist, you know. Life is not that way. Life is not that way. But there is one that knows our life from beginning to end and everything in between and every obstacle that comes and every disappointment, every seeming tragedy that comes, he knows. We sing that song, my Lord knows the way through the wilderness, all I have to do is follow. Now that sounds simple, I just have to follow. Are you following? Are you really following? It's got to be a daily task when you get up in the morning and say, Lord, help me follow you. Take up my cross, follow you. Help me to follow you today. There's going to be some roadblocks. There's going to be some obstacles. There's going to be some disappointments. There's going to be some things that don't go my way. There's going to be some trouble that comes from whatever. Help me to follow you. Help me to keep in your way the way that you'd have for me. And then every day, Lord, help me to have a clean and pure heart before you. Help me to have a clean and pure heart before others. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The only way that we're going to make a difference in Columbia, West Columbia, Casey, is to have a clean heart and pure and a right spirit. People are going to want to know about that because they already see plenty of the other. They don't even have to look hard to find the other. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit working in our hearts and our minds and our lives as we spend time in your word. Lord, I thank you for this this passage and the challenge that it is to have a right relationship, uh, not only towards our, you know, the right attitude towards ourselves and the right attitude towards sin, but a right attitude towards you, but Lord, also a right attitude with our neighbors and our friends and the world. Lord, I pray our focus would be single. I pray that our heart would, would have no hypocrisy. It would have no guile. There'd be no hidden motives other than to please and to honor you. And Lord, I pray that we would be uncompromising in our desire to please you, that we would not fall to the pressures of uh, society and wokeness and all the things that are going on, politically correct. But Father, we'd be more concerned about being spiritually correct before you and what you tell us to do in your word. Lord, many that couldn't be here tonight that are hurting physically, I pray you'd be with them. And Lord, I pray that you would go before us and again, tomorrow, fresh and anew, may we get up and commit to follow you and to lean on you and to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.